Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for all the wonderful truths that are here in this in this book, and particularly in this book of Romans. And uh, Father, we thank you for the the privilege uh, to to enjoy these truths with one another and the fellowship that we have here. We we thank you for a, a place to meet where it's it's warm in this uh, in this kind of weather. Thank you for getting us all here tonight. And Father, we pray that uh, that your your truth would would ring true for us, Lord, and and that we would be in tune with um, with good doctrine, Father. That your Holy Spirit would guide us and and keep us from turning to the right hand or to the left, and keep us in truth, and then take that truth, Lord. We pray and work it into our lives and out of us to the world, to your glory, in our Savior's name. Amen. Okay, yes. Oh, okay. If anybody, if anybody gets too hot, raise your hand. Romans chapter 9, let's pick it up in verse 21. Romans 9, verse 21, "...hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy, which He had afore prepared unto glory?" Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Let's stop there for a moment. I think we've gotten that far. Uh, again, in, here in uh, Romans chapter nine, we are uh, at the beginning of a uh, of a portion of scripture that um, that is very dispensational in nature, and Paul is talking about the. Uh, the the nature of dispensations as a whole, focusing particularly on the nation of Israel and what has happened to it today in this uh, age of grace, and he's doing that in the uh, in the context and in the light of the sovereignty of God and his uh, his kind of overarching point through this passage so far and and on through the next couple of chapters is that God has the right to um, to turn and to change uh, uh, not course, but to change his instructions. And it is for man uh, as his uh, as the creature to follow. And God cannot be charged in that changing of, of dispensations with unrighteousness. And Paul um, casts that in, in the light of you should have and could have known. That, that God doesn't do this kind of willy-nilly and haphazardly and just, uh, you know, everybody hang on, we're going to turn now and uh, screech around the corner. Uh, he has been telling the nation of Israel from the beginning that these things would be coming. And for those who believed His Word, um, they 
not only did they see them when they came, but they were waiting for them beforehand. We see people uh, through the Gospels who were waiting for the consolation of Israel and waiting for the Messiah to come and, and all of these things. So the believing remnant leaves the nation without excuse because the nation could have and should have known. How do we know that? Because you had a little flock, a remnant of people who did know. And who did, if they didn't know to start with, they followed when they, when they saw it. And their obedience, uh, leaves the disobedient without excuse. And God is found true and righteous. Um, now here in, in the passage we just read, and we talked about the potter and the clay, and that God has the right to, uh, to make vessels for different purposes. And he says unto honor or unto dishonor in verse 21, but you, uh, you understand that to be dishonorable, um, or to be low, in God's house is to be higher than uh, than you would be anywhere else. David said, "I would rather be a, a, a gatekeeper in the house of God, right, than uh, than to have all the uh, than to have all the wealth of the world." And God takes the uh, the uh, that which is dishonorable among men and, and bestows more abundant honor upon it. And He takes the that which is less comely and He He gives it more comeliness. So the uh, the the charge here hath not the potter power over the clay. Uh, the, the, that's an answer to the charge. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will? Back up a couple of verses. And the, the idea there is that God has a lower place for one person and that person gets angry and hardened and disobedient, much like, um, much like Cain did. God honored Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's. Cain should have gone to the Lord and said, What am I doing wrong? How can I, uh, what should I do to please you? Instead, he got angry and he ends up killing his brother. You say, Well, if God just hadn't disrespected him like that, well, you know, you need to take the place that God gives you and thank the Lord for it and, and, uh, and operate in that, within that that sphere that God puts you in His sovereignty. So, God has the power as the potter over the clay to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. What if, now Paul supposes here, what if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? So God uh, waits, and we see Him throughout the Bible uh, um, doing that. If you turn over into uh, at the end of verse chapter ten, God is 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 uh, is slow to wrath, and throughout the Bible, and He tells the nation of Israel more than once, "I was going to destroy you when you came out of Egypt, but I didn't, and I was going to destroy you when you were wandering in the wilderness, but I didn't, and I was going to destroy you when you came into the land, but I didn't." And uh, and God is long suffering. The last uh, last verse in, in chapter 10, But to Israel he saith, All day long 
I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. See, God is suffering with the children of wrath, long-suffering. And Paul says, what if he does that to show his wrath and to make his power known? The the reason that... um, that the children of Israel went into Egypt is because the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. And the Amorites were out there and they were worshiping other gods and God could have struck them down and brought His wrath down on them. And He said, no, I'm going to give them another 400 years to rack up more uh, wrath. And then when the time is full, in the due time, see, He's long-suffering toward the wicked, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known. And what we're talking about here is, is, is revelation, God revealing himself to mankind. God, he's willing to show his wrath and to make his power known. He endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. That is, God doesn't reveal himself all at once and in the beginning. He does it over time. He's long-suffering. God, over and over again through the Bible, God does what He does in due time. And He is righteous, and it is within His right to do that. So again, if you're an Israelite, and that's the focus here in the passage, and you're an unbelieving Israelite now that the Messiah has come, and, and, and God has cast you off, and you're accusing Him, Saying, look, you turned the corner on me. I was following you, and and, and you went off in, in some other direction here. And and God, what Paul is saying here is, look, God doesn't have to tell you everything up front. He doesn't have to show uh, all of himself. He, in fact, he doesn't. He's long-suffering in his revelation of himself. He shows himself, whether it's his wrath or his power or down in the passage, the riches of his glory and his mercy. He reveals those things in due time. And it's for us to to follow and to wait for revelation. And when the revelation comes, to act on it until the next revelation. What if God, willing to show His wrath and make His power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? And we talked about that, fitted to destruction and predestination and all those things. And that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy, which He had afore prepared unto glory. Now that afore prepared unto glory, we've talked about that already too, but just very quickly, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, just a couple of pages over to the right. The vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. Now what's he talking about? Vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Vessels of mercy afore prepared unto glory. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, um, verse 6, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. 
Now there, there it is, the vessels of mercy that he might make known the riches of his glory and the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. See here again, uh, we speak the wisdom of God in, the, in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, things that God didn't say before, that God didn't reveal at the beginning, but he revealed in due time through the Apostle Paul. And what we find out as these revelations come out in time is that God had these things planned from before. And Paul's already told us in uh, chapter 3 that God calls those things which are not as though they were. So God has the plan formulated, but he only reveals that as he reveals himself uh, in the course of time. Back in, in Romans chapter 9. So God had a prepared that there would be some people who would get glory. And those people, before the revelation of the mystery, and certainly before the Lord came, you would say, well, yeah, he did prepare a people for eternal glory. They're the nation Israel. And what Paul is explaining here is how that, that plan goes forward, even though the nation has been stalled. So there are some vessels of wrath, and then there are some vessels of mercy that he had afore prepared unto glory. Verse 24, Even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he saith also in Hosea, I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Now, that passage, if you didn't have the book of Hosea, and you came here to Romans chapter 9 and you read that passage, you would naturally assume that those people in verse 25, I will call them my people which were not my people. Well, who's that? Well, Paul just said, Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, as he saith, I'll call them my people, which were not my people. So we come here to that passage of Scripture, and we read that, and we say, okay, well, Hosea apparently was talking about Gentiles and, and, and uh, predicting that, um, that the Gentiles would become the people of God. The problem with that, come back to Hosea, is that we do have the book of Hosea, and as you go and read the passage that Paul's quoting, it is abundantly clear that Hosea, Hosea is not talking about Gentiles at all. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Um, Ezekiel is the big, the big one. You can find that just flipping through, and then a couple over you'll get to Hosea. Hosea chapter 2. So, as we look here uh, in Hosea, I'll tell you as you're turning to it, that the passage is talking about Israel is talking about Jews. It's not talking about Gentiles. I will call them my people which were not my people. It's talking about Jews. So we, here, let's, let's take a look at it quick. We're all there. Hosea, um, I'll tell you what, get uh, chapter 1 and then we're going to get a verse in chapter 2. Hosea in chapter 1, pick it up, um, well, let's get the, 
Verse 2, The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take thee a wife of whoredoms, and children of whoredoms. For the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblam, Deblam, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel. For yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom from the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again, and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Loruhamah. For I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel. But I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, nor by horses, or horsemen. And now when she had weaned Loruhamah, she conceived and bare a son. And God said, Call his name Loami, for ye are not my people. And I will not be your God. You see, what's happening here uh, in this passage is God is divorcing Israel. Um, look up in, well, let's continue reading and we'll get to chapter 2. Um, in uh, chapter 1, verse 10, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. That's what Paul quotes, part of what Paul quotes. It's talking about the nation of Israel. And God is saying, I'm casting you off, but I will not cast you off forever. And you are, and you are not my people, but you will be one day again. Then shall the children of Judah be gathered, and the children of Israel be gathered together, and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Chapter 2. Say ye unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sister, Ruhamah. Remember, it was Lo-Ami and Lo-Ruhamah. Not my people, you will not have mercy. Now he says, say to them, Ami and Ruhamah, that is, you are my people and I will show you mercy. Plead with your mother. Plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. And he goes on, um, talks about the judgment that's coming. Uh, verse 7 uh, and she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them, and she shall seek them, but not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now. What is that? Does that remind you of anything? That's I, I, When I read that verse, I think of the, the prodigal son. He goes off and he spends his... Uh, his inheritance and in, in riotous living and, and so forth, and he finally one day he wakes up with the within the slop with the pigs, and he says, "I'm going back to my father. My my dad's servants had it better there than I do here." And that's the same. It's they're the same people. It's the same situation. It's the same. Um, uh, it's it's the same repentance. That heart of repentance. Um, 
and she didn't know that I did all these good things for her. Uh, God says I gave her all these things, and she didn't attribute it to me. Um, and verse 20, I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness. And there's the reconciliation. And thou shalt know the Lord. And it shall come to pass in that day I will hear, saith the Lord, and I will hear the heavens, and they shall hear the earth, and the earth shall hear the corn, and the wine, and the oil, and they shall hear Jezreel. And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy, and I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. So that's the passage the end of chapter 2 and the middle of chapter 1 there that Paul quotes in Romans chapter 9. So come, let's go back there to Romans chapter 9. So, when Paul says, Even us whom he hath called not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, as he saith also in Hosea, I will call them my people which were not my people, is Paul talking about the Gentiles there, even though Hosea was talking about Israel? Most commentators, teachers, will tell you yes. That's what he's doing. It's clear there. He says Gentiles as he saith in Hosea. Most grace folk will tell you, no, he's not talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about Israel because Hosea was clearly talking about the nation of Israel. Now, I'm going to tell you that, uh, that he's talking about exactly who he says he's talking about in the passage. Verse 24, Even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So who is Paul uh, taking that Hosea passage as a reference to? To the Jews? Yes. To the Gentiles? Yes. You have to ask yourself, who does Paul say he's talking about? Paul says, I'm talking about not the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. So he's talking about both. Now you know and I know that the Apostle Paul uh, takes passages from the Old Testament that had nothing to do with the Gentiles and he puts them on the Gentiles. Now why does he do, do that? He does that by way of application. Come over to chapter 11 and let's take this opportunity real quick to, uh, to get a look at how Paul uses the Scripture because I'll tell you, as dispensational folk, we get... We get shaky when it when it comes to this kind of thing. We we don't like uh, applying scripture. We don't like taking scripture by way of application. Somebody gets up and 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 preaches something today out of the Old Testament and all the grace folk are shaking their bibles in the in the in the pew going that doesn't apply to us. And they're right. Doctrinally, Hosea doesn't apply to you and me. And yet Paul takes it and he makes it apply. And he didn't apologize for doing that. And he didn't always go back and explain himself. And he didn't always go back and say, Now understand, this doesn't apply to the body of Christ, but I'm going to use it by way... He just did it. He figured that his folks, uh, that the, the people in the church there knew enough 
to know how to rightly divide the word of truth. And if there was some confusion among some of the younger believers, that there were elder believers there to, to help and straighten them out. He didn't feel the, the need to explain this all the time. And he freely took scripture by way of application that didn't apply doctrinally. Chapter 11, why does he do that? Look, look what he says here in chapter 11. We're going to jump ahead of ourselves real quick. Um, verse um, 11, 11, 11. I say that, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now he's what he's saying there is he, he's tagging on to a verse he quoted back in chapter 10. Uh, look at chapter 10, verse 19. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people. And by a foolish nation, I will anger you. Now that, when Moses said that, he was talking about the little flock of Israel. He wasn't talking about Gentiles. But Paul quotes that passage and then comes on in, in the next uh, paragraph of his thought and says the salvation of God uh, is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy, just like Moses said. So he takes Moses' statement and he applies it to the Gentiles. Um, now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. So why do you do that, Paul? Why do you take the scripture like that, and uh, that's, that's clearly talking about Israel, and apply it so freely and without explanation to the Gentiles? He does it because he is the apostle of the Gentiles. And he is the minister of the Gentiles. And he ministers the word of God to the Gentiles. So when he, uh, when he talks scripture, he applies it to the people that he's, that he's ministering to. And that's exactly what he's doing back here in chapter 9. So the, uh, the controversy here in Romans chapter 9, for me, is not a controversy at all, really. It's, it's, it's one of the clearer passages because Paul tells you flat out who he's talking about. Us. Even us, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Now, when he says us, who does he mean by us? Now, I'm going to tell you. Who he means is Jews and Gentiles. Who he does not mean necessarily, and certainly not exclusively, is the body of Christ when he says us. He's talking about, again, exactly who he says he's talking about, Jews and Gentiles. We need to keep that in mind as we go through this passage, chapters 9, 10, and 11. 
Because if you're going to say that this passage, uh, those who are not my people and so forth, is talking about the Gentiles, you get into serious trouble later on in the passage. If you say that who he's talking about is exclusively the Jews, you get in trouble later on in this passage. And I'll show you uh, as we go through. Who Paul is talking about is who he says he's talking about. Jews and Gentiles. The vessels of mercy. On the Jewish side, that would be the little flock and Jewish members of the body of Christ. On the Gentile side, that would be the Gentile members of the body of Christ and Gentiles at large in the same sense that Israel at large uh, uh, has the mercy of God uh, poured out upon them in this dispensation. Paul is talking in general terms here and in dispensational terms. He's not being exclusive in this passage. So the those who are not my people who would be called my people. Hosea, when he said it, he was talking exclusively about Israel. Paul applies it to Jews and Gentiles alike and the same. Verse 27, Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel. Now we've got an exclusive, because now we're not talking about Jews and Gentiles all together, we're talking about the nation, and in particular, the uh, the unbelieving nation. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. So the vast uh, part, the majority of that nation is going to fall into that unbelieving camp and will not be saved. Only a remnant will be saved. Who is that remnant? It's us, back up in verse 24. Now again, the the remnant is the little flock. They're not members of the body of Christ, but Paul says us. He's talking about people who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. People who have not uh, refused to come out from under the old dispensation. People who saw the change and and went with it. That includes the little flock. It includes the body of Christ. It includes the Apostle Paul and these Romans that he's that he's talking to. It's an inclusive statement. Uh, a remnant shall be saved. A remnant of the nation of Israel is that little flock. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. We won't go back and, and, and look at that passage, but the passage says a consumption will the Lord make upon the earth. You ever hear the phrase, uh, he'll make short work of it? That, that means he's gonna, he's gonna destroy it. You talk about, uh, you talk about that when you talk about two fighters, and one of them is clearly outmatched, and you say, well, he's gonna make short work of him. Uh, a consumption. He's going to uh, defeat him utterly. The Lord's going to make short work of this thing. He will finish the work and and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. 
And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. What shall we say then? Now here's another one of those conclusions that Paul draws after his he gives the argument and he draws a conclusion. What shall we say then in light of all these verses I just quoted? That the Gentiles which follow not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith, but Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. So there again, at the beginning of the passage, at the end of the passage, Paul is clearly talking about both Jews and Gentiles. You say, now why do you keep saying that? Why do you keep pressing that? Because this is, uh, number one, a, a controversy that needs to be addressed. Number two, it is, in my humble estimation, a place where uh, grace teachers go wrong in this passage. And it in, in going wrong and saying, no, he's not talking about Gentiles, he's only talking about Israel, there is, uh, that sets a dangerous precedent for the rest of this portion of Scripture. You start, you take that stance and you get exclusive that way. And you start getting into trouble when Paul starts talking about the natural branches being broken off and you being grafted in. And, and if God broke off the natural branches, what do you think he's going to do to you? See, if you don't understand and take Paul at his word of who he's talking about here, then you gotta, you got to stay consistent through the passage. Fortunately, Paul doesn't leave us me, anyway, with any doubt of who he's talking about. Not the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. Um, now, that passage, come to 1 Peter chapter 2. Because Peter quotes very much the same, uh, does quote the same passages of Scripture, but he keeps them in context, and you find that a lot. If you, if you study the teachings, the words of Peter and the words of Paul, you find them using a lot of the same scriptures. And you find Peter using them in context, and Paul using them out of context. That is, by way of application. Um, and Peter... Uh, Peter takes that passage here in 1 Peter chapter 2. Now you understand he's writing to Jews. He's writing to that little flock of believers, the Jewish remnant that Isaiah talked about, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, a remnant, none of us would be saved. 1 Peter chapter 2. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, Ye also are lively stones, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Paul uh, uh, quotes that 
that very verse at the end of our passage in chapter 9. We haven't gotten there yet. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is become the head of the corner. Now what Peter is doing here is he's doing exactly the same thing that Paul is doing, except Peter is being exclusive. Why? Because he's not the apostle of the Gentiles. He's the apostle of the circumcision. So who he's talking to and who he's talking about is exclusively that Jewish remnant of believers. But he's doing the same thing that Paul is doing. He's splitting. He's making a division. He's saying that there are Jesus Christ is a stone disregarded by some and precious to others. And he's a sanctuary uh, and a rock and an anchor and a, a fortress and, and strength to some. And he's a stumbling stone to others. And, and the nation of Israel is split that way. And that's what Peter's talking about, exactly what Paul was talking about. Um, unto you, therefore, verse 7, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same has become the head of the corner. The builders, Peter identifies as the elders and scribes and Pharisees of Israel. He looks those guys in the face in, in Acts chapter 4, first time they took him into prison, and he says, Jesus Christ is the stone that you builders rejected. So he, he points the finger and tells you exactly who those builders are. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. That's those vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. This is a very a parallel passage with uh, where we are in Romans chapter 9, as it applies to Israel. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation... We just read where Moses said, I will provoke you to the, uh, jealousy by them that are no people, and I will anger you by a foolish nation. That's these folks here. A peculiar people, that you should show forth praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, here we are. Which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You see, Peter quotes the same passage out of Isaiah that Paul just quoted in chapter 9. Peter quotes it to the people that it was spoken to and intended for and keeps it in its doctrinal context. But the, 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 the idea is the same. Peter is telling his folks exactly what Paul is telling as it applies to his folks. Um, and he goes, he goes on again and he, and he talks about a lot of things that, that Paul follows up with. Let your conversation be honest among the Gentiles and, and so forth that Paul is going to go on in, in Romans chapter 12 and, and onward to talk about. So that, um, so there's that passage quoted in its context and directed to the people that it was originally, uh, intended for. Paul, because he's the apostle of the Gentiles, takes it and just as validly applies it not to the Jews only, but also to the Gentiles. Uh, back in, ch in chapter 9. 
So Paul quotes uh, a series of scripture here to support uh, his argument and to explain what uh, um, that that God said before that He was going to do this, that a remnant was going to be saved, uh, and not all there are not all Israel that are of Israel. Verse thirty. Let's look at that conclusion again. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness, and that is an allusion again to another passage of Scripture, Isaiah 65, they shall find me which sought me not, and that followed not after me. Again, talking about Israel, Paul brings it in here for the Gentiles. Uh, That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. So we weren't looking for it. God uh, came and found us. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Same verse Peter quotes in that in that same passage. So the issue here, and you need we we need to get this. The what the the distinction Paul is making is not. Uh, between the believing remnant and the body of Christ. He, he, he makes no such distinction here in this passage. Is there a distinction between those two? Of course there is. You know there is. But in this context, in, in God's uh, dispensational dealings with men in, in, the, in the light of His sovereignty, the issue is faith and works. It's not body of Christ versus... Uh, Israel blinded, saved, or otherwise. The issue is there's a group of people who dug in their heels and wouldn't leave the old dispensation behind when God said it's time to change. Then there's a group of people, some who were following from the old dispensation, some who weren't following anything, who saw what God was doing, that it wasn't by works, but by faith, and that's the distinction. And they and they went with God's program. So the Gentiles, who weren't looking for it, found righteousness. Why? Because they sought it by faith, the way that God was offering it. The Jews, who were following after God, or said they were, thought they were, believed themselves to be, uh, just kept running straight right off the cliff because they wouldn't recognize the change when it came. They were smarter than God. What does Peter say about that stumbling stone? Those who are disobedient, he said, stumble at the word. They tripped themselves up in the Bible. Jesus told those guys, he said, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have salvation. And they are they which testify of me. 
And they were, they were clinging to their, uh, 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 great philosophical understanding of their, of their book. And when the Lord Jesus Christ came and said, you know what, you read this and you read that and you read that, but I say to you this, this, and this, they said, who are you to say such a thing? Who makest thou thyself? And they rejected the Son of God in favor of their own understanding and found themselves the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. In the meantime, there is this other group, even us. You, me, Gentiles, Jews in the body of Christ, that Jewish remnant, Peter, and all of those folks, that's all us. People who have followed Christ. The vessels of mercy, which God had afore prepared unto glory. So, It's interesting here in this last verse as we close up. Paul, what Paul does here, if, uh, if, if you're, if you're not happy with the way he's handled the scriptures up until now, Paul, Paul, this verse in verse 33, what he's quoting here is not a single passage. It's, it's a conglomerate of kind of mashed together of two separate verses, uh, separated by, by 20 some odd chapters in the book of Isaiah. If you go and look it up, we can, we can do that. Um, Isaiah, behold, I lay in Zion, is um, Isaiah chapter 8. And then the other is chapter 28. Look what it says in, in chapter 8. Again, Peter quotes it correctly. Am I accusing Paul of mishandling the Scriptures? No, I'm not. What I'm trying to say in, in that arena is that the Apostle Paul applied the Scripture as it, as it fit rightfully his ministry. And you and I can do that too. Now, now you want to be careful with, with young believers and people who are just coming out of uh, circles that don't understand dispensational truth, and you want to explain to them. Uh, and, and, and you do want to stop and say, now look, you know, this, this is us, and this is them, and this applies to us, and, and this doesn't apply to us, and so forth. But there comes a time, beloved, when we can just talk to each other from the Scriptures, and we know, and we don't have to stop and explain ourselves all the time. Paul, at least, felt that there was such a time. Um, Isaiah chapter 8. Um, I wasn't going to go here. Verse uh, 13. Sanctify the Lord of hosts Himself, and let Him be your fear, and let Him be your dread. And He shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and a, for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So there's your stone of stumbling and rock of offense. Chapter 28 is your, Behold, I lay in Zion. And Paul takes these two stone passages and he puts them together. 
Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. That's the one Peter quoted, and he quoted it through. Um, Paul says, Behold, I lay in Zion uh, a stumbling stone. How does he quote it? Behold, I lay in Zion a stone. a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So he starts with Isaiah 28, verse 16, cuts in with Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14, sticks that in the middle, and then goes back and finishes the verse in Isaiah chapter 28 again. He that believeth on him uh, shall, not, shall not make haste. And Paul, is he's doing the same thing Peter did. He's basically doing a study on the Lord Jesus Christ as a rock. And, and putting together some some verses. Peter includes the 118th Psalm and the, the disallowed uh, stone and so forth. They're doing a word, word study on the word stone as it applies to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uh, doesn't doesn't see, think it necessary to uh, to separate those two verses out. He puts them both together because it 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 uh, is true and applies to what he's talking about here. Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. The issue is faith. And the Lord Jesus Christ is a stumbling stone for those who will not approach him by faith, but insist on coming by way of works. And I, we will leave it there. So we're through chapter 9. Do you have a question?